Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Hank Weisinger. Dr. Weisinger is a world-renowned psychologist and pioneer in the field of pressure management, as well as the author of a number of best-selling books, including his latest book, Performing Under Pressure, The Science of Doing Your Best When It Matters Most. Hi, Hank. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. I'm glad to be here. Well, thanks for making the time. I want to get right into this because we're moving into a time of year where students are um, preparing for SATs and they're also doing end-of-the-term projects, applications, a lot of pressure on them, sometimes from within, sometimes from their teachers, often from their parents. So I wanted to talk to you about your book about performing under pressure. Can we first um, kind of define terms? What do we mean by pressure? Well, pressure is a uh, situation. You experience pressure when you're in a situation where you have something on the line that is very important, like taking your SATs, and the outcome is dependent on your performance. You, You know, you frequently hear, like Little League coaches will say, it's up to you. That becomes a pressure situation where the outcome is dependent on your your response. And what I have found is that most people, even academics, confuse the concept of stress with the concept of pressure. And I found that when you do that, uh, it creates havoc in your life because you are uh, living every moment, you know, 24-7, you're feeling the heat. And when people can differentiate between stress and pressure, that in itself reduces daily feelings of pressure and allows a person, whether they are a child or an adult, to actually perform better. Okay, well, let's differentiate between pressure and stress. What's the difference? Well, again, pressure occurs when you have something on the line and the outcome is dependent on your performance. Mm -hmm. Stress occurs, uh, the most common definition is when you feel overwhelmed by the demands put upon you. Uh, In other words, too many bills, not enough cash is financial stress. Mm -hmm. Too many courses, not enough time becomes uh, a stressful situation. Now, there are many ways to deal with a stressful situation. You can delegate, you can prioritize, you can blow things off, you can laugh, (laughs) you know, you can laugh about it. In pressure, there's only one response in the situation, and that is effective. If you're landing a plane on the Hudson River, you know, telling a joke or taking a deep breath will help, but you still have to uh, land the plane. So pressure is much more of a performance-oriented situation. And also the, the subjective feelings that people associate with stress and pressure are very different. When a person is experiencing a lot of stress, subjectively they will say, I'm feeling exhausted or I'm feeling overwhelmed. Pressure, the subjective feeling will be anxiety and often fear. And also the evolutionary function. Stress sometimes can be helpful because it can arouse you. If if I have a lazy son or daughter, I can put more stress on them, i.e. more demands on them, and up to a point that will help. Pressure, quite frankly, never helps. Now, I was interested to find out in your book um, that what parents often use to motivate their kids has the opposite effect in terms of upping the amount of pressure that kids feel. Like, you know, do your best. Um, It's, of course, all parents want their kids to do their best in an upcoming test. But um, can you explain to us how those kind of motivators really can backfire on a kid? Sure. What I found is that there are traditional ways 
that we tend to use to motivate a person. And in reality, I like to call them pressure traps. They actually make people do worse. And one, for example, that parents use frequently are incentives. Uh, If you do well on your test, I'm going to get you that new iPod. Uh Now, what happens is five minutes after the parent is out of the room, the kid starts making their crib sheet because they want that iPod. I mean, why do smart kids cheat? If they're so smart, why can't they figure out the answer? And obviously, the, the solution is, is pressure. This is what happens many times with athletes. They start thinking about the incentive, and it takes them out of the moment. A student who is taking their SATs and thinks about the incentive, if I ace them, I'm, getting a, uh, I'm finally going to get a car. Well, they start thinking about that car during the exam when they really need to be thinking about the math problem that is in front of them. So, so that's what a, a second problem that parents inadvertently do is when they exaggerate the importance of a situation. Telling, telling your son or daughter or if a teacher says, you better study, this is really an important test, ironically will make the kid do worse. Interesting. And there's studies that back that up. Tons of them. So, so the more important you make something, this is what I want people to realize, the more important you make something, the more pressure you are putting on yourself. When I first started teaching at UCLA and giving my first presentation, oh, this is the most important presentation of my life, uh-huh. uh, until I finally realized that uh, even if I screw things up, by the time I get home, there'll be five more phone calls asking me to speak you know, somewhere else. Yeah. So now when I do a presentation, it's, it's just another presentation. The same attitude will lead athletes out. So, so let me ask you this. I know a lot of parents feel that they, their job is to motivate their kids. I, I talk to a lot of very um, highly successful parents here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and they feel that they are, you know, mom needs to motivate the child. And, and she feels that if she doesn't, then the kid is going to just, um, you know, blow off school, that she feels she needs to sit on his neck all the time to do that. And, and so I'm wondering, yeah, we want to motivate, but what is a better way of motivating than, than offering rewards, incentives, or, or to, you know, say, you know, this is the most important test you'll ever take? Okay, l- let me first preface that, that when I used to live in L.A., you know, comparable to a community to an affluent San Francisco community. And I would see a lot of, quote, successful parents. What I want people to know is they were so successful, they could afford to go to their therapist three times a week. (laughs) That's great. That's what those successful, because they're all driven by their, quote, incentives. Uh Uh, And, you know, where does it end? Not so so happy. Right. A much better way. Is, is, is rather than using incentives, is to teach your kids to follow their interests. Because when a child, regardless of the age, is interested in something, that's how you develop competency. Because your curiosity then takes over and you're not doing it for some external incentive. You're doing it because of your own internal satisfaction. That is why the best strategy when your kids are taking a test is to tell them what you said earlier. Just focus on your best. You can't do better than your best. So, you know, a C student is never getting 1600 on their SATs unless they cheat. But many times an A student will have so much test anxiety and feel the pressure that they will actually do worse. Mm -hmm. So I would tell parents to focus on developing their kids' 
interests. And the more you focus on developing their interests, then they will naturally want to do good. We do best in the areas that we are interested in. Kids who go to medical school, if they're not really interested in science and becoming a doctor, um, are going to find it a brutal experience. It's very hard to do well in something that you're not interested in. Yeah. Okay. So case in point, I hated math and, and, you know, the world of letters and books and was, was my thing. But as a student, I had to take math tests. I had to do well enough to pass. So developing your interests is great, but when you're still a student, you're required to, to excel in things that you're not interested in. And I think the, the situation when you have to do something, again, is simply giving the message of do your best and also teaching your son or your daughter uh, the importance of being able to focus and keep your attention uh, concentrated. I mean, this is really the essence of uh, developing what some people would call grit. I tend to call it um, tenacity. Mm-hmm. That to that to be tenacious, you have to have both short term goals and long term goals. It, you know, if you're if you're in ninth grade, using a typical affluent community goal of getting into medical school, well, that is really four years out. So, how do you keep yourself motivated for a goal that is four years out? And the solution that I found is very effective, also supported by research, is to have short term solutions. Short-term goals, because if you have short-term goals, that's what perpetuates your success. It's very important for parents to catch their kids doing something right and to help them create success. You know, I I know we're going to talk about the subject of confidence, but the number one way of instilling your confidence in your son or daughter is not saying things like, good job, you know, you're, you're doing good. It's basically to create a sense of success. Confidence and self-esteem comes from feelings of success. Self-esteem, good self-esteem does not create confidence. It's the other way around. Mm. Confidence, self-efficacy, as Albert Bandura, the great psychologist at Stanford would say, is the essence of of promoting self-esteem, creating successes. This is what I find good teachers do. They're not just going to say, good job, but they're going to make something so easy that a poor student can create a sense of success. To give you a personal example, I was a terrible student in high school. I mean, the first school I went to back in 1966, when my parents dropped me off, my mother cried. One of the classrooms was a barn. Uh, (laughs) You know, my friends were all going to Ivy League schools. Meanwhile, I had the greatest two years of my life. It was a wild place. It was like the original Animal House movie. (laughs) And I took a psychology course, and I became interested in it. I studied for the test. I got the highest mark. And all of a sudden, I became a psychology major. Uh I was now experiencing academic success for the first time. And that success gave me confidence that I I can do it again. Yeah, this is this makes a lot of sense. You know, all the gold stars and smiley faces on on the refrigerator and on the spelling tests mean mean little if the child doesn't sense, okay, I did this on my own and and this is coming from an interest a passion of mine and I want to do more of this. This is great. So I want to move to part 3 of your book which talks about developing a coat, C O T E of armor, which is kind of a, a long-term developmental plan. Um, for adults, but also I think for parents to help kids develop four um, attributes that can really help their kids deal with pressure. And it's 
Let's see if I get this right. <laughs> C is for confidence, O for optimism, T for tenacity, and E for enthusiasm. And if you could briefly go over each of these four things and just, just one tip for parents, for sure. example, how it, to help your kid develop C, confidence. Okay. But first, I want to just preface that nobody invented these concepts. Nobody invented confidence. Nobody invented enthusiasm, which is you know, pos- the field of positive psychology has become very big. And positive psych- people in that field act like they invented these terms. These, these attributes evolved because they help us do our best on a daily basis. The confident uh, Roman uh, warrior thousands of years ago had an edge, just like the confident financial advisor has an edge today. So these are all evolved attributes and they're okay. just as valuable today as they were 25,000 years and you ago. Say, and you say that they're teachable. They're, they're-, they're teachable. And one of the ways, one of the things I have found that is essential to instilling confidence in a um, child is a realistic appraisal. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say that's where it starts. You know, one time after a uh, basketball game, my son was, what, in fourth grade. So I went way home. I said, Danny, I said, you were really good. He said, Dad, I'm not good. I'm just average. I just like playing with a team. To my son's credit, he had a very realistic appraisal. Once you have a realistic appraisal, which most parents don't give, I mean, let's face it, and, and with, at, at the risk of being politically correct, not every little girl is beautiful. I'm sorry. And this is what the parents will say. Oh, you're beautiful and uh-huh. so on. What they need to say is you're a wonderful person. But I don't want a little girl who, in fact, is not pretty. I don't care if that, that might offend some parents listening. They're going to have a very inaccurate concept of themselves as they get older because the parents are distorting the image. It's the same thing whether it's an athletic skill, whether it's a musical talent. So once a parent learns how to help a child develop a realistic uh, appraisal of him or herself, that becomes a base rate. And then the person can start, if they want, to learn how to be better in that particular area, that particular cell. Also, very important, a trademark. You know, you know. the question I ask is, if you met a 30-year-old confident person today, mm-hmm. what were their experiences? How did they get to be that way? And one of the things I found was parental support, that confident adults grew up with supportive parents. So it's very important for parents to give their kids the message, no matter how well or how poorly you do in school, you're still a great kid. Most parents set up conditions of worth which really, as a psychologist, really bothers me. No, that's really true. I know I've been on the receiving end of email from kids um, all around the world for the last 18 years. And I often hear from kids who are so afraid to not bring home the A's because they fear their parents will withdraw love. Uh, And many parents, the reality are like that. My next book is Helping Your Kids Handle Pressure. And I found a great uh, study from China where one kid wrote in his journal that if he comes home with a 95, his parents berate him. How could you do this to us? We mm-hmm. feed you. We got you an iPod and you get a lousy 95. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's, very it's sad. sad. Very sad. It's, it's, it's very sad. Okay. So let's move on to the O in C-O-T-E and that's optimism. Now, this is one I really always thought 
you know, was an, an inborn temperamental trait. You're either an optimistic person by nature or you're not. And yet you say you can help develop optimism. Yeah. Now you're accurate to some degree, just like people are born with a biological disposition for depression mm-hmm. or to have an anxiety mm-hmm. disorder. Uh, in recent years, they have also found that there's an optimistic gene. So some people biologically do have an edge, you know, waking up on the sunny side of the bed. Understand what optimism is, positive thoughts and feelings about the future. So one very simple strategy that parents can use is start to teach their kids to use what I call an optimistic vocabulary, meaning using words like it's going to be a great day today. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful out, you know. Optimistic vocabulary words actually instill a sense of optimism in you. So every parent should actually write down as an exercise, and only a few parents will actually do it, but they will have an edge. In well, my listeners kids. will. <laughs> okay. Is, is to write down a bunch of optimistic words and start using them in a um, vocabulary when you speak to your son that or daughter. Great. And also get your son and daughter to expect positive things. Get them to look for good things. Saying things like something great is going to happen. You know, my daughter is 32. And one of the things I just had a long discussion with her uh, is to every night express gratitude. What are the things that you are grateful for? Quite frankly, every night, not every night, but you know, I will uh, go through, uh, I'll sit on my couch and I'll think, you know what? I got great kids. Uh, I got a new book, a new course. I have great friends. I can go out with any woman over 65. I start to look at, it makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the ways that I would say for parents is also kids are always complaining what they don't have. Why don't I have that new iPhone mm-hmm. or that new iPod or Johnny has this? Is that parents should start to help their kids structure some time, even as a little exercise. What are you grateful for? And that also makes you to see the glass half full rather than half empty. I love that. I can see so how how that would just kind of train you to be looking for positive things, especially, you know, I've heard of parents who go around the dinner table in the evening and say, tell me one good thing that happened today. And then you're, you know, you're kind of primed to look for those good things because you know, boy, at dinner tonight, I, I, could, I could talk about this. That's right. And, and better for parents, rather than say, tell me, which can sound like a demand, okay. like an interrogation, it's better if the parent says something really really good happened to me today. So so they self-disclose, right, model it, and then the son or daughter will start to say the same same thing. Okay. Now, tenacity. Tenacity is an interesting one because, again, you know, I think some some kids seem to have more stick-to-itiveness than others naturally. But I can also see, for example, if parents say, oh, is that too hard? Just, you know, don't worry about it. You don't have to finish it. So, So how can you help, how can parents help kids develop tenacity? Uh, I would say the most crucial factor that gets tenacity going Mm -hmm. is meaningful goals. Now, remember, what was man's first goal? Survival. Nobody had to tell early man, get out of bed and find some food because (laughs) physically they felt it. They said, I'm starving. I'm hungry. I need something. Goals today are not necessarily uh, so short you know, short. Back in the day, survival was, you know, an hour to hour uh, goal. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Today, it's a little different. So the most important thing for parents to do is to help their kids establish meaningful or worthy goals. Because when you have a meaningful goal, it becomes arousing. You're motivated to do it. I have never seen anybody give up on a meaningful goal. Doing algebra is not meaningful for a lot of kids. So the wonder they want to give up. You know, my father used to say to me, uh, how come you're always motivated to watch a Yankee game? How come you're always motivated to watch, you know, TV? He mm-hmm. never had to tell me to be on time to watch a TV show <laughs> because because those were meaningful things to me. Yeah. And where parents go off is they take their goals and they put it on the kid. Think of the parent that you were saying, you know, these successful parents. What if your kid wants to be an artist? Right. I don't want to be in a math school. I don't want to be in one of these Marin County schools. Send me to a, an art school. Many parents flip out when they hear that yeah. because they're thinking, no, no, you got to be a doctor. When I was growing up in the 60s, you either got a medical school, law school, or the very lowest would be become an accountant. And that and that would and that would be it. Yeah. So if if you know parents parenting from fear that if you decide to go the artistic creative person route, you'll never earn a, a living, and so you know you'll have a, a miserable life. That so I'm I'm afraid for you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna push you in this direction, whether it's not it, whether it's your passion or not. I understand and, that. And, and also something very important is another tip to sneak in under tenacity. Okay. Is the idea of when you get frustrated. Parents need to teach kids how to become effective problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And it's very important or or easy to do when you say to your, to point out to your kid that a problem is is not what you're dealing with. It's how you respond. So if 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 a child is becoming frustrated, the parents need to say, what are your options? And to teach them to always generate that there's another way of how you can respond to the situation. You don't have to go through the wall. You can try to go around the wall or climb over the wall. I like to, I taught my kids to say the real problem isn't the real problem is the real problem. Isn't that I have too much homework. Mm -hmm. The real problem is how I prepare to study for my homework. That's what you can change. It's very empowering for a child to realize that, that they can have a response uh, that changes the outcome. If, if you don't think that your response can change the outcome, why would you even try? If yeah. you don't believe studying is going to make a difference, then why study? Yeah, no, really good one. And the last one, the E, is for enthusiasm. And, and you know, you and I have all met people who have been infectiously enthusiastic, not falsely so, but I think this kind of ties in with optimism. But can you explain how... Optimism and enthusiasm are different. Uh, yeah, the, the, the optimism tends more to be about your thoughts about the, about the future, mm-hmm. whereas enthusiasm tends to be more in the current situation. Okay. Now, we all become enthusiastic when we meet our goals. Anytime you achieve a goal, you become enthusiastic. And you also become enthusiastic when you are interested in somebody. So if you go out on a date and you meet somebody that you're interested in, you call up your friends, hey, I'm enthused. I met somebody that I, you know, that I really that I really like. But we don't always find things, we don't always achieve goals every day, and we don't always find things that are of interest every day. 
So what we have to know how to do is how to create enthusiasm. And one of the easiest ways to do it, like every parent should teach their kid first thing in the morning, as soon as they get up, to give themselves <laughs> some, some clapping. Hey, okay, I got a new day to play in. That's right. Did you ever see the movie Hoosiers? Uh, no. Hackman? Okay, he plays a basketball coach. And before every game, he gets his team to start clapping, and then they all get psyched up and they run out on the court. Today, you see every basketball coach do that. Sometimes teaching your kid to sing a song because of the noise, the sound, also instills an instant set of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, this is where worthy goals uh, come into enthusiasm, is to have a sense of purpose. I have found that people, seniors, who have no sense of purpose, those are the people who have no zest. They feel that there's no meaning. So it's very important for parents to, at an early age, get their kids into having a sense of purpose uh, in life. And that, when you remember your purpose, it tends to make you very enthusiastic as well. Teach your kids to think of something that happened that was funny during, as, as, as a, as a, Anytime I want to jazz myself up, I think of funny experiences because it creates physical arousal in your body that we label as being enthusiastic. So those are some strategies that you can do right in the moment. This is great. Thanks so much, Hank. I think our our listeners and viewers are going to really take away these these relatively simple ways to work day by day with your kids so that in the long term, they're going to um, be developing these qualities that are going to help them deal with pressure. Okay, we only have about a minute left, so I'd love for you to take this opportunity to give our listeners um, a, an online address where they can find out more about your work and your book. Well, they can just go to my website, which is Hendry, I'll spell it, H-E-N-D-R-I-E, Weisinger, W-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R, Ph-D.com. And one of the things they will see, and they can get a free demo, is an online course that I created on Performing on Pressure. And now that we're having a discussion, I'm thinking it's a great thing for families actually to watch together. Yeah. Yeah. And the great thing is people can register for free and get a free demo. Oh, that's So great. they can actually see what a unit looks like. I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think people will find it very useful. Well, I know a lot of people um, operate um, not doing their best because of the pressure they're under. And so you're... you're giving us a great service by by helping us learn to get out from under the pressure and deal with it in effective and healthy ways. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for tween girls, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And rate us on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Dr. James Webb. Dr. Webb has been recognized as one of the 25 most influential psychologists nationally on gifted education. 
We'll be talking about his book, A Parent's Guide to Gifted Children. Until next time, happy parenting. Happy parenting.